for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking that about the family is worth the fight. We're going to be talking about fighting for your family. Um, appreciate your attendance at these messages. Uh, they're all important, but this first one is the foundational one. And uh, focus in real tight. This is not some easy stuff to listen to. You don't hear this stuff at a lot of churches, to be quite honest with you. But it's absolutely foundational today for what it is we're trying to do as we build our families and how it is that we try to do that. Adam and Eve were the ideal family, I guess, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint. Uh, they had one man, one woman. Uh, they were told to uh, be fruitful and multiply. They're the biblical understanding of a family. And before someone shoots an air at me and says, well, Abraham had a bunch of wives and so-and-so had a bunch of wives and so-and-so had a bunch of wives. Of course, that's true. You'll never once see that condone anywhere in Scripture. Uh, and you always will see when it talks about someone with multiple wives, you'll talk about all the difficulties that they had. I have enough trouble with one wife. I mean, I... Amen. I, got, I, I never got an amen out of him before in my life, man. I finally get an amen out of him. Well, the Bible, you, you can't get around that the, the biblical understanding of a family is one man and one wife uh, with kids that are there. There's all kinds of other families, and many of those families do their very best to, to love their children and to be loving but the ideal family is, is laid forth in Scripture. It's not only laid forth in Scripture. I mean, I could literally, and I, I've got it here, and I think I'm going to leave it out this second sermon because I went a little long in the first, but I could just give you statistic after statistic after statistic from secular researchers, from non-religious institutions, from liberal institutions talking about how... Um, what we understand to be the biblical family, what we understand to be traditional marriage, what we understand to be the ideal family, how that's just not something that's put down in the Bible, that that statistically backs up, that kids from these type of marriages, they do much better, they, they do better in school, they, they, they graduate and go on to college. Uh, kids from these type of uh, marriages, they're, they're just healthier, they're healthier physically, uh, they're, he they're healthier mentally. Kids from these type of marriages, uh, they go on, and they're in poverty much, much greater uh, times uh, less. In fact, 82, <laughs> for kids that come out of traditional families, the ideal situation, the biblical understanding, the, uh, the chance of them living in poverty when they get on their own is 82% less than people that come out of some other form of some other type of a family. And I could just go on and on and on. Do you know, I didn't know this. Um, and since 1980, marriage, just marriage, uh, there are 45% people, uh, marriage has gone down 45% as a, as a percentage of people, that the percentage of people are married, that's gone down 45%. That's an amazing statistic to me. 40% of all children today that are born are born to single mothers. And I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. And we want to point a lot of, of, of reasons of why we have problems in our society, but no one wants to point to this as much because it's not politically correct. And it doesn't fit the, fit the liberal agenda at all. Uh, but it's true. And it's, it's especially true in our black culture. 
Do you know in our black families in 1950, 75% of our black families in 1950 had what we understand to be a traditional family? Today, that is totally reversed. 75% don't live in what we understand to be a traditional family. And, and I, preached, I preached two messages back in the fall, maybe. I don't remember when it was, on Black Lives Matter and how black lives certainly do matter. And, and they haven't mattered as much as in the past. And those are on the website if you want to go get those. But you know what's even more deeper issue is back, black families matter. <laughs> Black families, all families matter. And, and one of the reasons we have so much issue in our society today is because we've decided that for whatever reason, the family is not worth fighting for. You go back to, to some people will think uh, maybe the second oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. In the first chapter in the book of Job, Job is seen as fighting for his family. In the very first chapter, when we're introduced to Job, he says, in the land of us, how'd you like to be from us? Okay, I know. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had 10 kids, right? Seven boys and three daughters. He, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes and on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters, and they'd eat and drink and have a big time, okay? When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering. It's what they did in that day and time, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, to, to cover sins and to cover evil in our lives, they would sacrifice an animal. They would have an offering, and they would sacrifice a bull or goat or some kind of animal. And they were doing that even up into Jesus's time. So early in the morning, Job went out and sacrificed a burnt offering for each, for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So we have a picture of Job, a man who was said to be upright, a man who was said to fear God. He's going out and he built an, an altar for each of them, the Bible says. So little Johnny and little Susie and little Robbie and little Petey and little Karen and whoever their other names were, the picture is Job building an altar for every single one of those. And in and, and that day and time, their understanding of pleading the blood or whatever terminology you want to do that, a sacrifice for skin, sin, here was a father who was fighting for his family. Here was a father that was caring so much about his kids that, that, that it, this, this translation says this was his regular custom. And other translations would say he did this continually. So can, I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't know what that means. It just meant he did it more than one day. So continually he was building an altar. God, would you bless little Job? And God, would you bless Jane? And God, would you, would you, would you, would you forgive Karen's sins? And, and here's a man that was fighting for his family. And in and, and the culture and in the way that he understood that. There was, a, there was a movie out four or five years ago, maybe not that long, I don't know, uh, put out by some Christian film distributors. And this, this movie is uh, called The War Room. And they put out several Christian Movies And here's a short, short clip from that movie War Room that shows a mother that's fighting for her family. 
where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. And another thing, I am so sick of you stealing my joy, but that's changing too. My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It doesn't even come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. Now there's a mom who's fighting for her family and she's fighting for it in a way that's comfortable for some of you and not uncomfortable for others. But the question is not what way you fight is are you fighting for your family? Because there's no one that would disagree that in 2018, our families, Christian and non, are under more attack than they've ever been. And there is more ways for our families to go astray today than there's ever been before. And the default for our families, I just thought of this, so I hope it's right. Sometimes the things you just think of, you don't know if they're right or not, but this just came to my mind, all right? So maybe I'll take this with a grain of salt. I'm just being honest. This just flashed in my head. The default for families, maybe it's always been this way, but it's more so in 2018. The default, what we default to for our families is away from God. That's, that's the default. That's where we go. And unless there's some effort, unless there's some correction, they'll continue on the default. And there has to be some correction. You call that correction fighting or praying or whatever you want to call that. There has to be some correction or the kids will go the default way. And the parents will go the default way. That's why there needs to be a conversion. That's why there is salvation. That's, that's why we have something called being born again. Because the default is going to take us away. And there has to be some correction. So we're encouraging you in these four or five weeks, however long we spend here, is to, to fight for your family. And today we want to talk about the most important fight. We'll talk about a lot of different fights and we'll talk about the, the, some tips 
that the Bible gives us for good parenting and the tips the Bible gives us for marriage. You've heard those messages before and we'll probably run those by you again in a different way just to remind us of some things that we need in our families. But all of those fights are well and good and you have to fight those battles and you have to be able to do what you can to make your marriage as good as it can be. You have to do what you can to hold on to your kids when they're younger or when they're old. And let me, can I tell you this to some of your parents that your kids are out of your house? Can I tell you this? And I, I'm, I'm, I've only got a 15, a 13-year-old, and I know this to be true. Can I tell you, you never stop parenting. I had a parent one time tell me, well, the, well he's, he's 18, what can I do? Man, that made me mad. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're always mom and dad. Always mom and dad. And I hope I have a relationship with my boys to the day I die that I can always speak to them when they need to be spoken to. Now, I'll do that differently when they're 25 as opposed to when they're 15. But I can still do that. And I hope they always have a relationship with me that they'll receive me speaking to them when they need to be spoken to. And I know they may not always believe it, but they'll at least have enough respect for dad to let dad says peace. And I know they may be out of my home and I don't have that control anymore, but dad can tell them some things because there may need to be corrections from that default. Fight for your families. The number one fight for your family. And we'll talk about a lot of ways to fight for your family, but the number one, the foundational fight that needs to be fought in our families. It's not any parenting tip. It's not any marriage tip. Those are great. But the primary fight that needs to be fought is the fight that's within me and the fight that's within you. The primary battle that needs to be fought is the fight that's in with, it's within me and my spirit and the fight that's within you and the fight that's within all of your kids' spirit to determine, is Jesus Lord or is he not? It's the number one fight. And you can focus on all these other fights and all that's well and good, but let me tell you, those other fights won't be successful unless Jesus is Lord. And so this number one fight, this number one battle, this number one conflict that's in our families it's not any kind of parenting tip, as good as that parenting tip may be. It's that struggle, it's that conflict, it's that fight, that's what's in my spirit to be able to determine who's Lord of my life. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Or am I Lord of my life? Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. A seminal passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture in, in Romans chapter 7 is absolutely crucial to our understanding of the Christian life. For Apostle Paul, at this time the Apostle Paul was already planting churches here and there and everywhere. He was writing back to Rome now. He'd already left Rome and he, he was writing to Rome and he was uh, uh, had gone to some other country by now to plant some church. He was doing a work for God. But listen to the testimony of this man that at least in some point in his life, he had a real fight going on. 
and he had real struggle going. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now let me tell you something. If you've never fought that struggle, you're either lying or you have no concept on the gravity of sin. Now I've met some people that told me they didn't have that struggle. I don't relate to it, and I guess I can't, I can't call them a liar. But I got something that's in me that wants to go my own way, friends. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm the only sinner and pagan in the bunch. But I'm probably the only one that's got self, enough self-assurance in Christ that I'll admit it. And I don't have to put on airs for you. Paul says, I don't know what I do. Why do I do that? I don't want to do that. You know, that conflict, that battle, that fight. Next passage. Next passage. <laughs> and if I do what I do, I can't even get the thing to turn. How am I going to be able to get to live a life that I want to in my own spirit if I can't even get that thing to turn? I love you, Amy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. We'll come back to the law later. 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin. That sin is a noun. That sin is not a verb like I am going to sin or I sinned. Okay? That's a, that's, that's a noun. That's something that's present within us. Paul says, uh, I, it's not me who does it. It's a sin that's living in me. And that sin that's living in me as a Christian is battling, doing conflict with the spirit of God that's living in me. And Paul will tell us in the next chapter, if I don't have the spirit of God, I don't even belong to God. But that spirit of God is having, is having conflict and a fight with that sin that's a noun, that, that sinful nature, the flesh, whatever you want to call it. And there's a battle going on. And there's a battle going on to determine who's going to be Lord of my life. Is it going to be me? Or is it going to be Jesus? We continue. For I know that good itself uh, does, does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot. Paul says, I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I hope you fought this battle. Because if you fight this battle, that means you're serious about your Christian life. People that aren't serious about their Christian life, they don't, they don't care too much about this. But only people that want all of God really truly see the sin that's in them. They truly see. It's, 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 it's like, I think I explained to you a while back, it's like you shine a big bright light and when you get the full light, I can really see that cobweb up in there that nobody else can see. And when you got the full light of God on you, you see some things you've never seen before. When you truly ask God to come in and, and really do a work in your life, you see things you've never seen before. Verse, uh, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin now that's living in me that does it. Keep, uh, um, and that's so we have this battle. Paul talks about this battle in Galatians 
as well. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so, you are not, so, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That sounds like, that sounds like a confused, struggling person. Indeed, Paul says a little bit later in that Romans chapter 7, he goes, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Does that mean he's some big horrible sinner? I don't think so. I think he means I don't have peace in my spirit. I have conflict in my spirit. I want to be all in for God, but something's holding me back. Here's the best way I can... Here's the best way I can uh, explain this, and I really p- could, could tell you this and sit down and be done, probably, but that's not me, okay? <laughs> I saw Dennis a Menace cartoon one time. Dennis had misbehaved, and he was sitting in the corner. Mom was out in the kitchen doing whatever she was doing, and she goes, Dennis? Are you sitting down? And Dennis hollers back from the living room, dining room, wherever he was, and says, yes, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That's it. Outward conformity to some religiosity but you're standing up on the inside. My, used, my, da, old, my dad used to say every now and then, he goes, there's old self rearing his ugly head again. Do you know what it means? When self rears its ugly head again. Do you know what it means? As Dennis says, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on that. You look good. You say the right things. You sing the right songs. But just like the Pharisees, inside, your cup is still dirty. Jesus says, clean the, out- clean the outside. That's really, really cool. You can do that. But what you really need to do is clean the inside. Just clean the inside. This first fight that you need to fight, before I give you parenting tips and, and before I teach you what the Bible says about raising kids and all that stuff is well and good and that's really great. <laughs> it won't do you any good though if you're standing up on the inside because your kids will see you at home, the real you, standing up on the inside. They don't see the you they show, you show to us. They see the real you. And this Christianity to them becomes a hypocritical thing. That's your one person Monday through Saturday and you're another person at 1045 on Sunday morning. (laughs) Dennis says, I'm standing up on the inside. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this conflict? What's the answer to this confusion? What's the answer to Romans 7? I want to do it, but I can't do it. I don't want to do it, but I do do it. What's the answer to that? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what's not the answer? It's not trying harder. I'm so tired of, 
preachers that tell you to try harder. I've been trying hard all my life. I'm so tired of preachers that just tell you to, to grit your teeth and do better. Pray more. Do your devotions longer. Start serving in the church somewhere. Come to church more often. Friends, that sounds like fleshly stuff to me. That sounds like me working really, really, really hard. I've already got a to-do list and I haven't been able to do it already. I haven't been able to do the things I'm supposed to do and now you're telling me to do more stuff. There's got to be a different answer than that. There's got to be something more than just trying harder. The answer goes back to three, four weeks ago when we were talking about abiding in the vine, staying connected to Jesus. You don't force fruit. Fruit just happens as you're connected. How do you win this fight? How do you win this battle? It may sound silly, but you stop fighting and you surrender. Because you're trying so hard that it's all in you. And you're going to be holy if it kills you. And I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm sure better know Joe over here. It's not about fighting. It's about giving up the fight and saying, I surrender. I surrender to the will of God in my life. And one of about five different things in Scripture that talks about the will of God is it's God's will that you be sanctified. Set apart. Through and through. Surrender to God. There's several. I mean, this is taught in all of God's Word. Give me some time with just a few scriptures here, and let me brush through them real quick. What do we have? Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Well, I mean, what's... I want to stand up on the inside. Must deny themselves. Take up their cross. Take the cross as an instrument of death. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. Sounds like surrender to me, friends. That sounds like me taking me off the, the, the controls of my life. You've, you've seen that. You've seen that bump. I've said this before. You've seen that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. Man, there can't be any more bad theology than that, anywhere than that. Get out of the pilot seat. It's a complete surrender to God. Give me the faith, the song said, to trust you. Give me the faith to know that my flesh is weak, but the spirit can be strong inside of me. Other scriptures that we have up here. What's the next one, Amy? Submit yourselves then to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit yourselves to God. I don't want to. I want to stand up on the inside. Submit to God. Hmm. It's me. That's my problem. Me is the problem. 
I want my own way. I want to be Lord of my own life. That's my problem in my family. Oh, yeah, there's other problems, and we'll work on those other problems, but the main number one problem, the foundational issue is me. I want to be Lord of my life. My kids want to be Lord of their lives. I just saw some little baby out here. She was, little baby was squalling and and face down, that little baby was crying and she didn't want to come in church. She wanted to go with her brother or something like that. I don't know what it was, but we, we grow up and mature and we don't get on our hands and knees anymore and start doing this. We just do it in other ways, but we still want our own way. What's another scripture we have up here? Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. That just sounds like schizophrenia. That sounds like bipolar. That sounds nuts. You double-minded. Cleanse your heart. Submit yourselves to God. What do we have next? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says after his Romans 7 experience, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Which is another way to say the Holy Spirit is living in me. Christ is seated at the right hand right now. But through his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I, I, don't, I don't live anymore. It's not through my flesh. It's not through me trying to do so good. It's Christ who lives in me. I can focus on the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots and do this and don't do that and go there and don't go. I can do that if I want to, but I've already failed at that. It's just like when I see a wet paint sign, what do I do? I touch it. The Bible says the sin was given so, so offense could be known. That's why the law was given. So offense could be known. So you wouldn't even know what sin was and there was a law there that says don't do it, don't touch it, don't go there. And if I can keep my mind on the law, I can keep my mind on my flesh and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it if it kills me. After all, I've rededicated 1,800 times. But I've never fought the biggest fight. I've never done, as my Old Testament theology professor told me at Asbury Seminary, to, to, to lay self on the altar and slit his throat. That's what he said in Old Testament theology class. That'll help a family. <laughs> but nobody wants to do that. You, you, you talk to pastors. This is the biggest issue. Is Jesus Lord or not? Have I surrendered or not? And it's not just, it's not just surrendering to God. And the under, our, uh, let, me, let me do a few more scriptures before I go there. What's next up here, Amy? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And then you know what he said. He, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then we have Jesus in the garden. And, and, and the Bible says, He's in the garden and he's, he's struggling and he falls down on his face and he cries out, Abba, Father, would you take this cup from me? And the cup was what was going to happen the next day, his crucifixion. 
and the picture is of Jesus is struggling. Would you take this cup from me? And finally, he gets to the point where he says, not my will, but yours be done. Have you got to that point that Jesus got to? Not my will, but yours be done. Surrender to God's Holy Spirit in our Trinitarian understanding of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we surrender to God, we surrender to His Holy Spirit as well. And right after Romans 7, where Paul is one step forward and two steps back and two steps forward and three steps back, and I don't want to do it, but I do it, and I do want to do it, but I can't do it, all that conflict, and he goes, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Right after Romans 7, praise God, you got Romans 8. And I don't like to read you as much as I'm going to read you, but I, I got to. I, can't, I try to figure out how I can shorten it, but I can't. But so right after Paul's talking about his conflict, in Romans 8, he says, there, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not in Adam. In Adam was what we were in the flesh and, and what we were naturally and how hard we were trying. We were in Adam. But now we're in Christ and allowing Christ to live his life through us. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, it was weakened by the flesh, it was weakened by me, it was, it was weakened by me just not being able to carry it out, me not having the want to. I was, used to be, I was a basketball coach 14 years, and every now and then I, I look at a player and I said, you just don't want to. He wanted that basketball more than you did. You didn't have the want to. And that's my problem. That's your problem. Sometimes we don't have the want to because there's this battle going on inside of us. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in our natural humanity, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, do's and don'ts and trying hard, and I'm going to rededicate and I'm going to get up an hour early tomorrow morning. And, but we live according to the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. Next passage. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. I know this is kind of mystical. I know it is. But this is the answer to Romans 7. This is the answer to two steps forward, three steps back, a complete surrender to God's Spirit in your life. A staying in step with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, as Galatians tells us. Not, not, not focusing on the law, not focusing on the thou shalt and thou shalt not, but focusing on God's spirit. And when I focus on God's spirit, look what happens over here. I find the law is not burdensome anymore. I'm just going with Jesus on this. And, and when temptation comes, I just don't, I say, now Jesus, here we are. Here we are. Help me deal with this. Help me deal. I, I, I don't have to do things that, I, that, 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 that are, are just me doing it and, and, and it's all in my flesh. I, it's, 
It's me and you here, Jesus. Because the, the closer Jesus is, the further away sin gets. Go to the next passage, please. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Continue. The mind, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile to God. There's a part of us that's hostile to God. And there's a part of us that wants to do God's way. And that fight has to be won. And it's a surrender to God's will. It's a surrender to his Holy Spirit leading and guiding. Next passage. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, they can't please God. You can try as hard as you want to. You can't please. Good for you. Pat yourself on the back. Good for you. Proud of you. Those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. You've got the Spirit of Christ in you if you're a Christian. You've got the Spirit of Christ in you. If you don't, ha if, if, if you don't have the Spirit, then the Bible says you don't belong to Christ. But the question is, is how much of the Spirit, does the, how much of you does the Spirit have? I could go on and read the next seven verses. But you know what happens in the first 16 verses of Romans 8, right after Romans 7? I don't want to do it. I, I do want to do it. I do want to do it. I don't want to do it. Right after that, we have Romans 16 verses and Romans 1 through 16. You know what you got? 15 times in 16 verses, you have the word spirit, capital S. Spirit, 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 spirit. What's the answer to Romans 7? Spirit, 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 spirit trying to beat us over the head with it. Fifteen times in 16 verses, the Spirit is the answer. Walking in the fullness of God's Spirit. The answer is not gritting my teeth. The answer is not trying harder. The answer is not going to church more. The answer is not doing my devotion two hours instead of one hour or ten minutes instead of five minutes. That's flesh. God, what's the answer? The answer is walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Have you fought this fight? Have you surrendered to God's will, surrendered to God's Spirit, and asked His Spirit to lead you? What does that mean, Mark? Gosh, I wish I could just lay it out to you, step one, step two, step three. I can't, because the Bible doesn't. And I can make up some things that may be halfway right. There, there, there's, there's, there's a certain unknown to this, but it's a complete dependence on the Spirit of God to lead you and not a dependence on your own flesh because in your own flesh and in my own flesh, I'm going to fall on my face. I proved that to myself over and over and over again. You want better families? Fight this fight and win it and win it. One important thing is both scripturally and through experience, this fight, this battle seems to happen after you get saved. It seems to come there's a, 
a second time. Or for all I know, maybe it's a third or fourth or fifth or 118th time. That you ask God to come in his fullness and do something for you in the Christian realm that you haven't been able to do yourself. For me, it was April 1994. I got saved in August of 93 at Hughes Auditorium in Asbury College. I knelt at an altar and said, I, God, I don't know what you have for me. And I don't even know if I'm going to like it or not. But you're good. And I want to do it. And I, have, I haven't worked that out perfectly all my life. And I've had to go, go back and, and say, yeah, God, I, I, I pulled back a little bit there. I, I, take it again. I, I, I pulled it back. Take it again, God. Here, take my life again. Here's what I find some people do. They, they say, here, take it. But what they really probably need to do is do it palms down. Because when I do it palms up, I can still hold on to it a little bit. Has that happened for you? Has that time come where you were fighting that fight and you decided you decided you fought long enough and you're going to win it? I'm teaching a John Wesley class. He's a starter. He's a founder of the Methodist Church. He's, he's, he's with some Nazarene church grew out of. I'm teaching a Wesley class in Westchester on Monday nights and I was studying some for Wesley and Wesley said for him, when this happened for him, he, he changed from having the faith of a servant to the faith of a son. Big, big difference. Scott, your boss. I, I, of course he is, but I hope he's so much more than your boss. If he's your boss, you got the faith of a servant. And what I need is the faith of a son. And that's why later in that Romans 8 passage, he, he cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Paul's saying. Abba is a, is, is a word that's translated Papa. We've been teaching our boys to pray since they could talk, and, and, and I notice a difference in their prayers as they're getting a little bit older, and and no longer when it's their turn to pray in the evening do they just start praying and they say, God, they address him, God, and then they talk to him. Every now and then I'll hear him go, Father, it's good. It's really good. Because they're starting to have a faith of a son. A faith of a son who knows that God, the Father, does not want this conflict going on in your spirit but he wants to resolve that and he's asking for your complete surrender to do that. I don't know where you are today. I really don't. And I know this kind of preaching don't this kind of preaching don't build churches. You know that don't you? Just don't, nobody comes here this kind of preaching. But there's a few of you that want him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And he doesn't want you to be in conflict. That's why he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, may the God of peace 
sanctify you through and through. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the name of the Lord, at the day of the Lord Jesus. You said, well, I just can't. I just don't think I can. I know you can't. I know you can't. And what you need is 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, which says, and the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. He can do it. Dennis? Are you sitting down? Yeah, but I'm standing up on the inside. Whether you call them Baptist or Methodist, Presbyterian, or non-denominational or Nazarene, that's our biggest problem. If you're a Baptist church, the call is to lay your all at the altar. If you're in a Presbyterian church, the call is to surrender all. If you're in a Nazarene church, the call is to be sanctified, filled with God's Spirit. It's the most crucial battle you'll ever fight for your family. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, I've been preaching long enough to know that some people are, uh, this just absolutely does not compute. I've been preaching long enough to know that some people are angry with me for even preaching it. But Father, it's the way I understand your word. And this is just so much a part of Christianity as for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I pray that at least one person in here today, maybe two, maybe three, will become, as John Wesley would say, altogether Christian. When we fight this toughest fight and put you on the throne as Lord of our life, allow you to live your life through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.